and Ziploc that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, Now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke All right, welcome back, everybody. This is, uh, I guess, officially episode three of the Trap Draw Podcast. Tron, how are you? I'm great, Randy. Just uh, reveling in this, you know, kind of cornucopia of golf we've had over the last few weeks. Been been quite a quite a stretch. So, no doubt, man. A lot of appetizers for that Olympic main event. <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm good. So we have um, a very special guest this week in kind of what's maybe becoming our theme here on the Trap Draw. We want to find a little different angle, go off the beaten path a little bit with our interview. And we were able to track down Bob May, who everybody knows was one half of the great duel in 2000 at Valhalla. The greatest duel. Probably the greatest greatest duel. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe until Stenson and Mickelson, but it's, yeah. it's up for debate. But really, even this was more dramatic down the stretch. You know, I mean, True. they went shot for shot, and then, you know, maybe not six, maybe not dueling 63s, 64s, but, but still, you know, pretty uh, pretty heady stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So we caught up with Bob, um, sat down, chopped it up, see what he's up to now, uh, see what he's up to in the future. Fortunately, he's kind of battling a bad back and is going in for a procedure here uh, the second half of the year and is hopeful to return to competitive golf um, next year. Uh, certainly by the time he turns 50, I think he's eyeing a, a return in best-case scenario for the Champions Tour. Um, was very gracious with his time. and Yeah, I think we were planning, we were planning about 20, 25 minutes with him, and we ended up going – over an hour, so I mean, I think we probably could have talked to him for another two hours. He was just fantastic. Yeah. So, um, so I guess without further ado, let's get right into it. We we hope everybody enjoys our conversation with Bob May. If we could kind of start back in in 2000, um, I, I think Todd and I are both. I'm 32, Todd's 30, and so, gosh, it's been. 16, 16 years, now. years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so we, you know, through kind of doing research in order to talk to you, we're learning a lot about you. But I think um, a lot of golf fans our age might not know a lot about you. And so our goal is to kind of tell that story and, and, and let you uh, share your story. And I, I guess where I want to start is, is does this week – what does this week mean to you, being PGA Championship week? Is it a tough week for you? Um, is it kind of still painful? Or looking back, is it a special week? Or is it kind of just another week for you? Well, I mean, right now <clears throat> right now, it's just another week to me. Um, you know, due that I, I, I can't play due to, uh, due to injury and, and things like that, um, you know, it, I, I would love to be out playing – out there but um you know 
after 2000 and 2003, I blew my back out and had to have surgery, and I was out until 2006. Um, I'm going through the same thing again, you know, basically 13 years later. Uh, going through it again with my back. So um, as, as we talk, uh, right before you guys just called, I was trying to get a hold of my, my doctor here in town that we're going to do surgery, hopefully to have uh, have my spine fused in uh, September. Oh, well, I'm sorry about that. So, well, I mean, if, if everything goes good, I should be able to, you know, uh, get back out and play. You know, obviously, uh, we'll have to see how much damage is, is there. I do have a lot of scar tissue, so therefore the surgery is not going to be just an easy little uh, fusion of one level. It's trying to get in there with all the scar tissue because I've had work from L3 to S1 already. But... Uh, L4, L5 have no disc anymore. So I'm just bone on bone and they just glide back and forth. So sometimes I have the pain in my right leg. Sometimes it's in my left leg. But uh, the weird thing is my pain usually is in the groin area. And then it's always starts about mid shin and then goes down into the feet. Hmm. So it's it's all sciatic pain from, from that, uh, you know, basically... L4, L5, yeah, and you know just a little bit of S1. Yeah. Oh, that's that's brutal. Yeah. No, I I am. So I mean, it does does it? You know, if if I was in good healthy shape and I just wasn't playing good, and I couldn't be at the PGA, then it'd be a little frustrating. Yeah. But being that you know I could go out today and and play probably around the golf and. You know, there's no telling what I could shoot. I could, uh, you know, I, I was in Hawaii teaching. Uh, the very first day I was there, one of the other uh, pros at the club said, hey, I got two guys that are going to play a PAT. Will you go out and play with them? You know, get them ready. And mm-hmm. it was blowing like 35-mile-an-hour wind, 30-mile-an-hour wind. It was howling. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you guys don't need to go play. I don't even play anymore. <laughs> you know? And yeah. I went out there and I shot five under in a, in a, in a you know, gale force wind. I think the next closest guy was somewhere in the 80s. And they're like, and I'm like, well, with my method that I've been taught, it it, it, it seems pretty easy to work. And, uh, you know, it's just, so, you know, and the next day I played and I felt okay. And then uh, two days mm-hmm. later I couldn't play. Couldn't, I mm-hmm. hardly move. Mm-hmm. So I have no longevity in my back. You know, I can play one round and I can take, you know, I, I, I can wake up the next morning and I can't move. Or I play two rounds and then it then it sets in. Um, yeah. So um, you know I can still play, I can still hit shots, but there's no longevity in it. Does so the weather it, affect it too? As far as just you know if it's if it's more humid or if you know if it's. Cause um, you know, obviously anything from seventy degrees up is really good. It, I, I just I do not do good with cold at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the colder it is, uh, the tighter I get, kind of deal. You know, so it, it's tough. You know, from that standpoint. If, if things go well with the procedure, do you? I, I know you're you're nearing 50 years old. Is is Getting back into competitive golf certainly is, is that something still on your ra- radar? Well, you know, I've, I've been dealing, I've been dealing with this for almost three years now with my with my pain. Um, I keep on trying to put it off and see if 
you know, working out, you know, losing weight, getting fit, still hurt. And I go, okay, let's go the other way. Let's put on weight, still hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always it always hurts. It doesn't matter what condition I'm in. I you know I dropped all the way down to a 29 inch waist from a 32, 33, and went down to like 148 pounds, 150 pounds, and then I've been all the way up to 168 pounds, and it's just, there's no difference. I feel no difference. So. Um, from trying it from a conditioning standpoint and messing around with that for basically the last two and a half years. And uh, so now uh, I turn 48 in October. So my goal is to have surgery this September. I will have a year of rehab. And then by the time I get ready to turn 49, I'll be able to start practicing full bore, making full swings. And that'll give me a whole year to get ready for tour school. Okay. So that's kind of my game plan right now. Well, we we certainly gosh, hopefully hopefully you can stay on that schedule and 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 things go according to plan. Um Yeah, if everything works good, that that's the big, you know, if everything just goes nice and smooth, that's where, you know, that that's where I am aiming to do or aiming to go. Now, mm-hmm. with that being said, I also have, you know, uh, a teaching facility here that I will not, uh, I will not vacate that. You know, I will mm-hmm. uh, always stay teaching the, the students I have. Um, one good thing about it, it keeps me at the golf course. Yeah. So as long as I'm there, I'm going to want to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of them say, man, it's going to be fun to get you back out there and play. And I said, well, yeah, it's going to be fun, but you kids don't understand how hard, how much work it takes to get there. I said the good thing is is you're all gonna you'll you'll be able to see how much work it really takes to get back mm-hmm. and, and to get out there. So my big question with a lot of these kids is, you know, how good do you want to be? Do you just want to be good enough to play high school? Do you want to be good enough to play college? Do you want to be good enough to play professional? And you know, I'll ask kids that, and because you know, a lot of parents their dream is for their kids to be a professional, but it's not the kid's dream. And so I ask them, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, I want to be a professional. I go, okay, well, how many hours a day do you practice? <laughs> no, you know, three hours a day. And I said, I'm not trying to be mean, but you're not going to make it at three hours a day. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I said, when I was a kid, I practiced from sunup to sundown. And you know what? My parents didn't have to take me and, and force me and drop me off. I was begging to go. I said, you know, and then when they picked me up, they were fighting to get me in the car. I said, mm-hmm. it, it's a game that you must be obsessed with, not be forced with, you know, forced to play it. I yeah. said, if you guys really don't want to be out here, you guys aren't going to make it. Because I'm telling you, just about every guy on that tour wanted to be out there. Now, when they get out there, for some reason, some of them get miserable and they hate the game. And it's just like, hey, it's a way to make a living. I've never thought about it that way. I've always felt I've been very lucky to do what I was, I did for a living, and uh, I feel like I was blessed, and I love this game. This game has given me a good life, and I want to give back to the game. Yeah. Well, let's, if you don't mind, you, you had an unbelievable amateur career, junior career into college, um, and, and kind of speaking of that, that will to work, was that something that you were taught, or was that just 
innate? Did somebody? How, how did how did you come to the game of golf, and and how did you learn kind of that work ethic that you had to have? Well, I, I came to the game of golf. You know, I come from a non-golfing family. My parents didn't play golf. Um, I, I I was my parents went out, so I had to stay at my aunt's house, and her and her husband played. So I was at their house, and they just bought me a seven iron. You know, back then most golf courses had you know a seven iron or a nine iron junior you know club laying around the pro shop that you could buy, and they bought it for me, and so. I went home with it and I never really thought about it. And then like a couple of years later, I was just messing around in the garage and there was a golf club and I started swinging it around and, you know, I just decided I wanted to hit golf balls one day and my parents <laughs> took me and let me hit balls. And I, I don't know what the addiction was, but, you know, like, I, I guess I was about, you know, eight years old then. And then by nine, I wanted to start playing this this game. And uh, my parents were like, well, okay, we'll go get them golf lessons, I guess. And they got me, you know, <laughs> a small little, you know, nine iron, seven iron, five iron, and a three wood and a driver and a putter and just let me go. And, uh, you know, first term, one of the first tournaments I played was uh, I was nine years old at Hesperia Country Club in the upper desert in California. And I think I shot... 61 or 62 for nine holes and another one of my friends or I didn't know him at the time I think he shot either 62 or 63 I beat him by the shot and I mean we're still friends to this day that that guy and myself Mark you know Mark Rylance that grew up in Southern California we became good friends and you know we pretty much played golf all the way through junior golf and then uh and he didn't go on to play in college, but he went to college. But, you know, so it was kind of funny. I just, I, I liked it. And by the time I was uh, 11 years old, I quit playing baseball and soccer. And mm-hmm. my parents, uh, I just told my parents, it came time to sign up for those two sports. I told my parents, I don't want to play anymore. I just want to play golf. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. So I love it. Yeah. And uh, just started going at it full bore and, uh we came across Eddie Marins at Bel Air Country Club, who was my golf instructor. And, uh, you know, as I'm sure you guys know, the little pro is what he, he goes by. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, full full gentleman of the game, taught me in a sports coat and tie all the time. Wow. Uh, if we went out and played, he tucked his tie into his shirt, and we'd play. Um so he's very, uh, very old school. Obviously, the little pro, I believe, is about 85 years old now. Um, you know, introduced me to some great people. Uh, I've had opportunities to play with him and uh, Mr. Byron Nelson, him and Mr. Palmer, um, met Mr. Snee. I mean, I mean met just just some incredible people through, through the little pro, and he's always been my mentor through my career. And uh, I also had another gentleman by the name of Tom Sargent, who was one of my mentors. And those two gentlemen uh, are very, uh, oh, what would we say, uh, gentlemen of the game and, and love the game and honor the game and respect the game. And so I think I've, I've, I learned a lot of that from them, both of them being that they, they ran clubs. Um, they just weren't uh, golf instructors. So, um, 
you know, they just, they taught me a lot of stuff that I don't think is being taught today to kids. You know, a lot of kids know how to swing, but do they know really how to play, how to act, uh, you know, how to take care of a golf course. I go to these golf tournaments, I see kids that don't know how to fix pitch marks. Some of them don't even look for pitch marks. Um, honors, what's, what's honors anymore? You know, I went to my, my, my son's first high school tournament and I'm, I go up to my wife, I said, I thought you just said he made par because I, I was getting there late. She goes, he did. And I go, well, I know the other kid made bogey because I saw him as I was walking up. Yeah. And she goes, oh no, they just play ready golf. I said, they play what? I mean, I'm telling you right now, when, when I was a kid, we played honors golf and we never had a problem with slow play. Never. I don't ever remember slow play being a problem in junior golf when I was a kid. And so, you know, that's why I try to teach kids. You know what? When it's your turn, you hit. Don't mm-hmm. let another kid tell you to hit on a par three when he's been teeing off in front of you all day. Mm-hmm. Unless it's your turn. I said, and if it's your turn, don't you be telling someone else to hit. You stand up, <laughs> man up or woman up, and you hit. Yeah. Going back to slow play, like what do you think – just with kids these days, and just, I mean, even I mean, the tour seems to be getting worse and worse with it, too. Um, is it just is it just paralysis by analysis? Absolutely. You could thank, you know, and, and I love the guy to death. We're good friends, but you could thank Bernhard Langer for it. You could thank Nick Saldo for it. I mean, we could go right back to those guys. They're the ones that started the real slow play originally. Mm-hmm. And they were having success, so these kids think, hey, we need to slow down. We need to slow down. Well, look at Ian Wisdom, look at some of these other guys. They're fast players. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there were some some players that were very, very fast. I don't understand why you have to take so much time. To me, the longer you stand over it, the more you think about things you shouldn't be thinking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it should be a reaction. You see a shot, you, you, you feel it, you react to it. Um, you know, but... I, I just don't understand why people have to take as much time as they do. Um, I, I don't think there should be fines on the tour for it. I think there should be penalty strokes given for it. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, just like Ben Ben Crane uh, said, they can find me all they want, you know, because yeah. twenty thousand dollars. But if I make that putt, it might be the difference of two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah well, exactly you know what? Right. If we give you a shot. You don't have to worry about either one. Are you, you're going to get that big fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, by missing that, that one shot penalty may cost you a heck of a lot more. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So um, I, I think you know, uh, I think some people are afraid to point fingers out there. I'm going to say why? Do, why do you think they they don't enforce? Because because it is a rule. Um, but but the tour just does not seemingly enforce it. I don't know if they they kind of bow to, you know, some of these really big-name players and, and don't want to ruffle feathers or or what? Well, I, I, don't under, I, I don't understand. I mean, you think about it. Tiger Woods slow? No. Phil Mickelson slow? No. Um, I, I don't understand. So we have more successful fast players than we do slow players. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why the slow players seem to think they need to, to be slow, but... Um, the second thing is, like you said, you know, we always argued was, why don't you point a finger? You know, before they just go warn the whole group. 
Well, I know when yeah. they used to come warn my group, I'd just say, hey, don't say a word to me. I know I'm fast. You guys know I'm fast. And they just kind of laugh and they go, <laughs> you know. And yeah. I think I think they really need to point the finger at the group. Hey, mm-hmm. you're the slow one. We're timing you, not the other guys in the group. Mm-hmm. You know, point the finger. We're grown men. We we can take responsibility, but don't 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 just because I'm in that group, don't you know? Don't accuse me. Right. You so know, going back, going back to kind of when you got person in the game and then kind of growing, growing and getting better. Um, you know, based on what I'm seeing here, you started playing AJGA at a pretty young age, right? Yeah, I started playing the AJGA at basically 12, 12, about 12. 12, 13 years old. Okay. Yeah, because I'm just saying here, I mean, you, you still, I mean, you're, you know, basically second all time to, to, to Mickelson as far as uh, most wins, but, but most years with at least one win, you, you still hold the record six years in a row, 82 to 87. So that's just, so you had some success right when you went out there, you know, as a 12 yeah. or 13 year old. Yeah, you, you know what? Rolling. Yeah, when I went out there, we didn't go out there to just play in a tournament. We went out there seeking better competition. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids in Southern California were, were pretty much the best players around. And uh, so there was a group of us that, you know, we wanted to see how, how did we rank against these all these other kids from around the country. Because at the AJGA at the time, all you had to do was enter. They didn't have all – they didn't have, you know, the uh, – all the invitationals, yeah. uh, this this one. I mean, they got like three different tours now. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the in- invitationals that are for the elite ones, and then if you earn so many stars, you get in this one. And uh, you know, it, it makes it pretty complicated to get in, and pretty hard. Um, I think it would have been. I think it'd be better that they have a like a tour school for it. Mm-hmm. You know, for these kids, you either make it or you don't into this AJGA, and then if you do make it, then you you get to play the elite level. If not, then do stars for the other ones, you know, the, the, the level that – but take your elite players and let them try to have a chance to become fully exempt by, by pay, playing a, a four- or five-day tournament. Mm-hmm. And I think it would kind of get them ready for what they're going to do at tour school later in life. So they'll already have an experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know it's AJJ is, is a great a great uh, association. You know they they did a lot for for myself and for Mickelson and you know guys like David Duvall, you know, Franklin Lang. I, I can name just tons of guys that are my age that we all played junior golf from a very young age. Chris Smith and and we just kept on. We all grew up together playing all over the country, and we all went to college playing at different colleges all over the country. And then the next thing you know, here we're all on the PGA Tour together. Yeah. <clears throat> but we all kind of had little different paths from different areas of of, of the country, you know. And, and looking at it, it looks like you, I mean, most wins at San Tournament, you, you, you still hold that record or tied for that record one, three times up at Tahoe. So you, <laughs> you must have you loved it up there. Oh, I love Tahoe. It, it was it was a long, tough golf course. Um, you know, I, I don't know why I loved it so much, but 
I do remember, you know, at I believe when I was 15, I, I tied the course record up there. I think 15 or 16, I shot 67, which was the course record up there at that time. Um, but it was pre-lined. You had to shape the ball, and that's what I love to do. I love to shape mm-hmm. the ball. You know, obviously the ball doesn't shape as well as it used to or curve as well as it used to. But, um, you know, that that's, that's all I did as a kid was uh, I had a lot of good friends that were really good players, and we'd sit on the driving range and just challenge each other to hitting shots all the time. And I would say there was probably five of us that could uh, pretty much shape the ball any any way we wanted by the time we were between the ages of, you know, pretty much 13 to 16 years old. And is that something that you work with your students on now? Absolutely. You know, something that that is just a total lost <clears throat> art these days. It, no, absolutely. Ball. You got you got to learn how to shape the shot because people teach a golf swing. Well, what does a golf swing hit? Heck, if you don't know, you you know a uh, a shot is the shot predicts the golf swing. You're trying to cut it. Your golf swing is going to be a different path than if you're trying to draw it. Mm-hmm. So a shot creates the swing to me. You know, I'm not going to try to hit a a, a slight cut like I'm going to try to hit a slight draw. If they're going to be both, both of them have to be moving on a slightly different path. So you just can't have one golf swing to me. Um, you can have the same looking swing, but it's going to it should be working a slightly different path. Like I tell people. That golf ball should never leave the ground without a flight flight path in in uh, in pattern. I said it's just like an airplane. When you leave an air an airport, you have a path that you're taking. You're going to fly in a route. Mm-hmm. That golf ball needs a route and a path to to uh, to go on before before you hit it. Um. So I, I'm kind of skipping ahead here, and, and I, I apologize. This might be a bit of a jumping ahead but we don't want to keep you too long um so you got to oklahoma state you're a three-time all-american and um played in the 1991 walker cup with uh with phil mickelson uh a couple times as partners and turned pro shortly thereafter and can can you speak to i i guess where i'm going with my question is by by the time i think the majority of golf fans got to know you in 2000 you had been labeled a a journeyman and um i I think a lot of people don't really know the story of that journey so you know however briefly or or if you want to tell us the full story we we certainly would love that but can you talk about kind of those nine years between turning pro i know you spent time on the asian tour and and then had a, a really nice run on the on the european tour kind of prior to coming back to america getting on the PGA sure. Tour and, and, and setting up, you know, that so, 2000 PGA Championship. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I came out of college, uh, you know, played on the Walker Cup in 91, uh, lost in the finals at the British uh, British Amateur to Gary Wollstenholme, and then right after that I turned pro. Uh, turned pro, uh, went through tour school, didn't make it through the first year of tour school, but um, – did get my Nike my Nike card at that time. Uh got on the Nike tour, uh finished fourth on their money list, which at the time the top five on that money list were fully exempt on the PGA tour. 
So in 94, I played on the PGA Tour. Um, you know, I, I think I went out there not, uh, not cocky enough, not, um, very respectful of the guys that were out there, but didn't really, I, I've talked to someone about this the other day, didn't realize that, hey, you deserved a spot out there. You could respect yeah. them, but you don't have to hold them on a higher level than you. And I think, um, you know, I just didn't go out there cocky enough, to tell you huh. the truth. I wanted to be accepted, obviously, so I was, you know, very polite to everyone, which which there, you could be that, but you also have to have hold your your ground kind of, you know. But I was always taught, you know, respect of your elders. Well, you know, some of these guys were, you know, in their mid-30s. I'm only 21 years old or 23 years old. And, uh, you know, I looked up to these guys. I watched these guys. I'm a student of the game. I, I, I respected and honored and, you know, I held these guys at a very high level. Now I'm competing with them. And I think I should have just been a little more cockier and said, hey, I've earned my way out here, um, and this is where I belong. So I, I think I came out um, a little more in, in awe and, and didn't want to ruffle feathers. And so I got eaten up out there. And, you know, it, it's a tough world out there. You know, you start guessing your confident level and, and what you're doing. And so I ended up losing my card. And, you know, unfortunately, I went from playing very well on the Nike Tour the year before to losing my card and having nowhere to play. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, that all happened real quick. Yeah, and uh, so I went back to Asia and played a year in Asia, and uh, played all right. Played, played, played. Actually, played pretty good. Uh, finished in the top, I think, uh, top five maybe on their money list. And so, what uh, was the reasoning behind going to Asia versus, you know, say, playing back to the Nike or something yeah, like that? Well, here's the deal. I I went back to Asia because I didn't win on the Nike tour that was going to give me an exemption to play out there. So, like you said, I would have to uh, go on Monday qualifier. Well, I could get, at the time, the Asian tour was playing for the same amount of money, and I was already exempt over there to play. Oh, okay. And there was 12 events or 10 events. So it was like, go over there and play, and they're done, let's see, January, February, March. We were done by March, late March or April. Well, maybe May. Maybe we came back in May. We were done. So then I could get back, and I could start following the Nike Tour or the yeah, the Nike Tour or the web.com back then. I'm not, I can't even remember what it was back then. So I came back and, and, and followed that around for a while, but... Meantime, I played good enough on the Asian tour that it exempted me into the finals of the European Tour School. Well, I didn't send it in. I just sent in my, my U.S. Tour School. Well, my wife sent in the European Tour School. I didn't know it. <laughs> She's like, so I, I find out, and I'm like, I'm not going. I'm not going. She's, yeah, you are. You don't make it. Where was that at? Was that somewhere in, in um, Britain or? It was in uh, Malaga, Spain, Okay, <laughs> on the coast of Del Sol. So I missed I missed it. I missed here. 
And so we took off and went to Spain. I was like, that's fine. Well, if if I'm going over, you're going over, and you're going to caddy then. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I'll fix her on that one. So she caddied. We made it through. And the first year didn't play real well. And then she caddied every event the first year. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe like two of them. But we went through like three sets of rain gear each. It rained every single tournament. And I'm laughing, going, yeah, you're the one that signed us up for this. You know, <laughs> have fun. So um, didn't do real well over there. So went back. I, I think I went back to the school to get a better a better card. I, I still have my card, but I could get a better number. Went back to the school, got a better number, and just every year I just started playing better and started getting more confident, getting my confidence back, you know. And yeah. then by uh, 98 I played better, and then 99 I was back to having a lot of confidence and belief in myself, and I believe I finished seventh on their money list over there. Yeah, you had. I was looking at your results earlier. I mean, I think you... You've got about six tournaments that end in Masters, and you played well in pretty much every single one of those, and Dubai, and Cotter, and Malaysia, and South Africa, yeah. Lock Loman, Scandinavia. So, uh, so but, yeah, but kind it was, of it was it was a good year, you know. And then I ended up winning the British the British Masters, mm-hmm. and you know, Colin Montgomery and Eduardo Romero, we were the, in the final group. Colin Montgomery had a three shot lead going into that final round over Eduardo and myself. And I believe Colin was going for his seventh win of the year. And uh, after six holes, I had a three-shot lead on him. Wow. And ended up winning by a shot. I ended up shooting, I believe, 67 that day and and winning the tournament by a shot over, over Colin Montgomery which I believe at the time he was the number two player in the world Okay, at that time. So, so when so you marvel 97, 98, did you think about go, coming back over and going to U.S. tour school, or were you just no, more you know more comfortable in Europe? I was just getting more and more comfortable in Europe. I was like, you know, we're still young. Um, let's Let's just keep on doing this. And then, you know, 99, I played very well. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to to come back. Mm-hmm. And by playing so well over there, it exempts me right into the finals at the U.S. Tour School. Okay. And well, Todd and I were marveling that you even had to go to her school. I mean, I think you ended 1999 ranked 53rd in the world. I, I looked up, and right. we were just saying today, you know, with the World Golf Championships and and all of that, it, it's it's kind of amazing to think that you had to go to tour school. Well, see, the World Golf Championship started, what, when did they start? They started in 99, was it? Yeah, 98? Yeah, yeah, around 99 or 2000, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So they were just starting. So there right. wasn't a whole, so, uh, you know, they were just, just starting. So, yeah, so I, there wasn't, there weren't, you know, like you could, uh, like a 2000, I only had to play in Europe, go over there and play three times to, to keep my card over there because between the world golf events, the majors, and all that, I pretty much yeah. fulfilled my requirement to play over there. So when you were over there, did you have kind of a home base that you would return to every few weeks and 
No, you know what? Not straight on I would fly home. So I'd go over basically, I'd go over for like three weeks, and then I'd come home for a week or two. Okay. Yeah, so I was over there for three weeks and then come home for a week or two and then fly back. Hmm. Because it, it was just as cheap for me to fly home as it was to rent a place over there. And then are you are you battling back problems at all at this at this point? Or? No. No, okay. no. You know, I just just normal wear and tear. Just you know, it gets sore and tight once in a while, but mm-hmm. but no real real big uh, back issues now. Okay. Okay. No. Well, so then obviously yeah. you got your you earned your PGA card to uh, for the 2000 season, and I'm mean, just kind of going over. Seems like maybe a little bit of a. a rough go of it right out of the gate, but then um, you had a tie for second at, at the FedEx St. Jude. That was well, six tournaments prior to the PGA Championship. Was that kind of a spark going into the PGA Championship? I mean, you, your game was obviously getting to be a good, in a yeah, good spot. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was coming good. You know, I, I played good all, all that year before over in, in Europe, and it was coming back over here, and you know, prior to St. Jude's, I, I played good in the U.S. Open. I think I finished 22nd or something like that with a uh, with a two-shot penalty on 18. So, really, if I didn't have that, it would have been, like, I think 12th or something. Or, okay, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, I had to take a penalty shot there. I hit a bunker shot on the 18th hole out of the, the Oceanside bunker there. And as the ball was flying in the air, I hit the sand. You know, it was 150 yards. I hit over the seawall at Pebble Beach, and my playing partner said, well, you hit the sand, but the ball was in the air, and, you know, it landed up by the green and then rolled back in the bunker. So the USGA official said, well, do you know if the ball was back in the bunker when you hit the sand, or was it where was it? And I said, honestly, I really can't tell you. And the playing partners, I God, who was I playing with? They're like, no, I, I don't believe it was in the bunker. And they're like, he's like, okay, but what do you what do you believe, Bob? And I said, I have no idea. And he goes, well, if you don't have an idea, you got to take a two shot penalty. So it was kind of hard to swallow, you know, taking a two shot penalty there when when you know you have two playing partners saying that no, it was out of the, you know, it wasn't in there. They don't believe. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's what I had to do. So that ended up costing me, I think. I want to say it was. I went to. I finished 22nd. It could have been like 14th or something like that. So then the next week was Memphis. Okay. And played well in Memphis. And then uh, then I went. You know, between Memphis and the PGA, I actually went back to defend the British Masters. I flew okay. back to England to, to uh, defend the British Masters. And then flew from there back to Valhalla. I was going to say you, you also had a tied for eleventh at the British Open, which was right, yeah, obviously a great week. Yeah, I had a tied for eleventh at the British Open, and I don't know, I can't remember how I played at Loch Lomond that year before the British okay. Open. I think I did all right. Yeah, you know, to me, a lot of people say, well, you know, you had pretty good success at the majors that year, and you had good success at this tournament or that tournament. To me, when I play a golf tournament, um, I treat them all the same. 
I treat them all the same. You know, I want I, be, I want to be proud of um, of my score no matter where I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the problem I see with a lot of people is they say they're gearing up for the majors. I'm gearing up for the majors. Yeah. Well, why would you gear up any different for a major than another golf tournament? Don't you always want to play at your best? So, you know, pressure that you're, you're making up pressure yourself in your mind. Um, and to me, every time I sit on the golf course, it mattered to me. So when guys tell me they're, they're, they're aiming for the majors, this, that, and the other, well, don't you want your game to be peaked at all times? Mm-hmm. So I, I never quite understood that because I think they're getting mixed up. If you win a major, you get great rewards with it. Well, mm-hmm. winning is not a goal. It's a reward for you accomplishing your goals, which you know, I have several different goal goal levels. And if you if you he hit each level, then you get the reward of possibly winning the golf tournament. And uh to me I, I think some of these guys that have that that ability to get to that level would have won more if they would have just played it like any other golf tournament. Mm-hmm. So I think they're too worried about the rewards that come with winning yeah. In, instead of just trying to play golf like they know how to play. When you got back from uh, overseas, go to Valhalla, are you tired going to Valhalla or was it just kind of just a regular week for you? You were used to the travel, um, kind of the grind? You know, I, I wasn't too tired. The only thing I knew was going to be a hot week. I knew it really was going to be hot. It's always hot at Valhalla. You know, um, my caddy that I had, that I've had for the last few years, he uh, he stayed home to go see a doctor, so I had another guy caddying for me there that, that I knew from the tour. And um, so, you know, we got back there. I was staying at a, at a friend of a friend's house that I didn't really didn't know them until I got there. So it was kind of a, a weird whole week, you know. Um, different caddy, for for one. Uh, staying at someone's house I didn't know for the second. And then, you know, being in a new town, never been there before. I didn't play the PGA the year before or the, the five years pr- uh, prior to that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but to me, you know, it was golf. And uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I, I felt I was playing good, and I was just going to go out there and you know give it my best. Uh, and I had you to start it off, started off pretty much just just really even par seventy two first round. Seventy two first round. Um, we didn't get to finish due to the due to darkness, and in the middle of the night it rained. You know, the 18th hole was going to be like a driver five iron. The fairway was hard and fast, and oh, it was going to be a fun hole. And then it just dumped. It dumped, and the 18th hole became a three-shot hole <laughs> because you were getting zero roll. And I'm yeah. like, well, that was no good. <laughs> How many more holes did you have left to play? Then I had to play the whole next round the next day. I only had one hole left. Oh, oh so wow! So, so all you had to play was 18. And, and you... <laughs> 
you played it after it got soaked. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So you know, I played that, and then the next day we we played. So you know, the first eight shot seventy two, and then uh, obviously the next three days I shot sixty six. The the final round um, in your preparation. I, I, was playing with Tiger was that a factor, or was it? Hey, this is this is just another round. This is just another tournament. I mean, could you kind of keep focused on on what you had to do, or? Well, know? yeah, it, you know, to me, to me, it was an easy thing to keep focused. And people go, well, "Why was it easy?" I mean, he destroyed everybody he played with that that <laughs> that year, right? And I said, yeah. "Well, I convinced myself the night before." One, you've always been taught to play the golf course. You don't play the opponent because you can't control what your opponent is doing. You can't throw anything, can't holler at anything. The only way you can put pressure on your opponent is to hit good shots Mm -hmm. because it's a gentleman's game. So I was like, okay, well, one thing I know I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be hitting into the green before him. So... You know, one of my strong points in my game is my iron play. You know, back when I was playing my best, I felt I could hit a four iron as close as I could or nine iron. It didn't matter to me. That's just the, that's the belief I had. Yeah. So um, knowing that he's going to hit the ball further than me, I knew that the only way I could possibly put any pressure on him is to hit good golf shots. The second thing is, is don't get caught up in the golf course that Tiger's going to play because – I knew he was going to hit it by me. I knew he was going to play a totally different golf course. On the first hole, you know, I hit a good drive, and then he hit his drive, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he pulled it, and there was a big tree. It had to be 60 feet tall on the left side of of Valhalla, and his ball went right over the top of that tree. I mean, like it wasn't even there. And I was like, okay, well, he he just basically solidified what I've been thinking all night is that, he's going to play a different golf course than me. So just let it be. And, you know, just obviously your golf game was good enough to get you here. Believe in it and trust it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, worry about your own game. And and that's what I did. And, you know, it's, it's something that you, you practice hard to do. It's something that you rehearse. And to be able to get it, all together at that at that moment, it was 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 very satisfying. Yeah. Going along with that round, were there any any gut check moments early on in the round, or was it you know as far as you know where you really kind of answered the bell and and really gained some confidence moving forward to the back nine? Or well, you know, um, you know, obviously I birdied the second, he bogey, mm-hmm. so then it was like, you know what, just keep on playing your game because now the tide switched. He went from one up to one down. And then I birdied four. And then I believe did he birdied five. I know I bogeyed six. I know he birdied seven. So, you know, it was kind of, it was just, you know, Nose to nose, and then when we got to 10, we talked all day until we got to basically about 10 in the, in the fairway when we were waiting on our second shots. And I think, you know, when we both birdied 10, it was kind of like, you know, this is game on. 
neither mm-hmm. one of us are going to are going to give up. And then I buried eleven, and then we both buried twelve. We both hard thirteen. We both buried fourteen. And then 15, I missed like an eight-footer for birdie. He made about a, gosh, he made about a 16-footer for par. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and really, this whole time, what are you talking to him about? Are you just kind of saying oh, shit? Yeah, we're just, you know, the front nine was just kind of basically talking. We both grew up in the same area. You know, Tiger mm-hmm. was seven years younger than us, or than myself. And... uh yeah, just small talk. You know, what's going on? What have you been up to? Um, you know, just just small talk. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of things people don't realize. You know, we're like a small family out there. We all travel together. Um, so we see each other at lunch. We see each other in the locker room. We see each other when we're happy. We see each other when we're pissed. So, you know, it's... Uh, you know, we, we get to know each other pretty well. Mm-hmm. There on 15, that, that you know, in hindsight, seems like the, the real turning point. Did did you have any sense of that in the moment? Did did any of those thoughts creep in or, or you know? Were, uh, were you... Uh, what was that? Uh, the phone beeped, so I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I said 15, in, in hindsight, seems kind of the, the turning point where, you know, could have been a three-shot margin you were ahead by instead you went into 16 up one shot um did you have any sense of in the moment hey that that was my chance or was it you know still feeling you know one one up three to play what let's do um no you know what you know uh ken venturi asked me that uh and i hit that putt right where i wanted and it never broke um, if you go back and watch that the, the video of that day, Olafable had the exact same putt, putt as me, and you'll see how much his ball broke. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, mine just didn't break. I, mm-hmm. you know, the reason I say that is because when when uh, Mr. Venturi said to me, you know, gosh, if if you if you wouldn't have hit it through that break, and I was like, what are you talking about? What hole? Because when you hit a bad putt, you remember it. But I was like. No, I hit a good putt. I hit it right where I thought it just didn't break. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it didn't break. So I went back and watched the whole tape, and and all Fobble ball just pretty much the same place from where I was. That ball snapped hard right. So, you know, we're putting on grasses. We're putting on, you know, things that aren't always consistent. Um, you know, it's an outside sport. So, you know, we have people walking over our surface. We have wind. We have you know, all kinds of different things that could uh, have an effect on our game. So, you know, if I would have hit a bad shot or or hit a bad putt, I would have remembered it and thought, gosh, I wish I could have had that over again. And I never felt that way. Yeah. Do, do you think, and it's impossible to know, so this might be a bad question, I apologize, but no. had, had you hung on and... and beaten Tiger that day. Do you think you would have opened other players up to, hey, this guy is, is beatable? And I, I guess, you know, how, how much would history have changed in the next decade, um, do I, you think, had you pulled out that win? Or, or maybe well, not I, at all. I think, I think, I think just by what I did opened it up. Okay. I think, you know, because... 
I, I did actually beat him that day, but I didn't beat him for the tournament. You know, he mm-hmm. shot 67, I shot 66 that day. So I think I think what people realize is, hey, he can be beat. And I think what happened is a lot of people realized, you know, when, when I was in the interviews that, I wasn't I wasn't worried about what Tiger was doing. I was mm-hmm. worried about my own game. Um the people a lot of people gotta understand is back then we like, guys couldn't hit the shots that Tiger hit. I mean, I'm telling you right now, I'm a person that's not easily impressed with with other guys and their golf shots. Um, I feel like I hit every shot just about anyone else could. But as powerful as he was, the drive on one I will I'll never forget. The, the two iron on 10 that he hit, I'll never forget. The drive he hit on 17, never seen a drive hit that hard, that far in, in competition. And I mean, we're talking 16 years later. I can remember all those. Just like I was, just like we're there today. I mean, they were that impressive. So his power was so impressive compared to everybody else. And not only was it impressive, it was long and it was straight. I was mean, the sound just different too? Oh, it's just the speed. Just the speed was just it was phenomenal. You know, so um, you know, but I you know it the thing is is, you know, back then he was overpowering golf courses and uh I just told myself, you know, you you just gotta play your own game. You gotta play your own game and you know, it's you know, it was good enough to get you in this position. And I think too many people tried, you know, Phil's a big hitter himself. And I think sometimes they get into trying to have a little bit of a slugfest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was averagely, you know, long, a little bit, maybe even a little bit longer than the average back then. But um, I knew I was in no, no way was I as long as he was or was I going to try to be as long as he was. You know, Ernie Els was a big, long hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, sometimes it, it gets to that, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, well, you're not going to outdrive me that far. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll keep it up with you. Uh, you know, you, you can't get caught up in it because, you know, back then, like I said, he was, you know, equipment caught, caught us up with, with his strength. Mm-hmm. Really, so one of my enduring memories, you know, like obviously Tiger walking in that putt, but your putt on 18, um, you know, really in regulation and then and then in the playoff as well. I mean, shit, the the one in the playoff almost went in too, but uh, you know, really the one on 18 at the end of regulation. I mean, that was just you. You kind of started to walk after it. Was it was it a little bit? Up in the well, air as far as whether you thought it was going to go in or well, I thought, you thought you left it short. I thought I left it short. I, I, if you read all the interviews, they said, well, did you think you missed it? And I said, well, I didn't think I missed it. I thought I had it read right, but honestly, I thought I left it short. But the, the putt was so fast, and all I all I was concentrating is, you know, you just get the right line, get the right line. And sometimes you get so in love with the line, you forget about the speed. Yeah, and when I hit it, I thought, "Oh my gosh, you didn't hit it hard enough." How how did you do that to yourself? And then you know, it just kept on rolling and rolling, and you know, just kept on going. And 
you know, ended up falling in. And then the one in the playoff, that one, I mean, for a minute, did you think that one was in and then it just kept breaking or, or did that come off? You know? Um, no, yeah, that, that one in the playoff was, you know, it was, uh, it was the last ditch effort I had and I hit it and I thought, ooh, this might be pretty good. But, um, you know, I just didn't have enough speed. Yeah. And then, and then really after the playoff, I mean, so all day, are you just in a state, you kind of in your own little world where, kind of blocked everything out and then you and then it kind of set in on you you know what that day had really been or well when i when i got done um you know obviously ken venturi jim nance was was down there and they're like this is the greatest thing ever and i'm like <laughs> come on really I'm like be real and they're like no you have no idea you were in the middle of it you have no idea what just took place and my first words were to him you're going to tell me this was better than Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Ioki battling at the U.S. Open. And they, because that's what I remember as a kid, watching those mm-hmm. two go back and forth, back and forth, you know, for four days. And they said, they said, absolutely it was. Hey, hon. Hold on one minute, guys. Yeah. Oh, sure. Can you call Trenton? He's called me twice now. Did you hear me? All right. Okay. My son was just trying to get a hold of us. Also, yeah. Sorry, we're keeping you long here. Yeah, we, we'll, oh, we'll, this is our last. Yeah, no. sorry. No, no, hey, you know, I've always felt that, you know, it's our obligation to get back to the game. You know, if we don't, if we didn't have, uh, you know, Trevino and and Palmer and Nicholas and all these golf greats, if they didn't get back to the game, I'd have nothing to to ever play for. And I just hope guys that are my age realize, you know, they've made a lot of money at at a younger age, and I just hope they they continue to give back because if not, mm-hmm. the sport's really gonna really hurt. And you know, it's it's our it's guys my age, you know, getting ready to turn fifty. It's it's you know time for us to give back to the game to make sure this game keeps on growing. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, as far as that that night after after the playoff, did you just go get dinner and just kind of decompress? I mean, did you come well, down from that? I didn't. Did... I didn't get back to the people's house that I was staying with until eleven o'clock that night after doing all these interviews. We finished okay. at we finished at six, so five hours of, of doing this interview, this interview, that interview, this interview. Um, you know, there were there was a lot of it. And it's funny, when I came back to the house, um, we were sitting there partying on their patio, you know, out in the back. And someone, because I mentioned the people's name that I was staying with, the Peskys, uh, Matt and Brittany uh, Pesky. And they're like, their neighbors like come out and they said, hey, on the news, that guy just mentioned, and they go, is that him? And we're sitting there drinking wine and beer on their patio, you know, at 1130 at night or 11 at night. And they're like, yeah, come on over, you know, so it was, it was fun, you know, the biggest shock was the next morning when I showed up at the airport, you know, I was just on a basic uh, airline flight, and I show up, and, you know, they, back then, you know, everyone's like, hey, hey, da-da-da-da, you know, they they knew what flight you were on, you know, this was before 9-11 happened, Mm -hmm. 
and every news reporter was there, and I'm like, uh, can I just get to the airplane? You know, and I get on the airplane, and people stand up and they're clapping, and, <laughs> you know, some people are looking at me like, what's the deal? And then they they got the sports page out, you know, just because it's really before iPads <laughs> and stuff. And they're looking at the sports page, they're looking at me, and they're like, you're that guy, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I just want to get home. <laughs> well, I mean, it really was. It was like the best. I mean, to this day, I'm 30. It was the best best golf tournament, best day of golf I've ever watched in my entire life. Well, um, thank you. I appreciate it all day. Yeah. And the way you handled it afterwards, it was just total class. Bob, this was fantastic. We we could not yeah. have asked for more. You were so gracious with your time. We went way over. Um, well, I, I do fun. apologize for that, but... Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, and then if you guys have any other questions, you know, let me know. Give me a call. You got my number. If you can't keep this number very private, this is my private cell phone number. I have a yeah. work form, but you guys are more than welcome to call me on it. Um, sure. You know, I would love if we could maybe do something on the academy here in Vegas at, at some point with you guys. Yeah, that'd be people awesome. know that if they come out here, we got a golf academy at Las Vegas. Do you, do you want to talk about that? I, I'm just thinking, yeah. hey, I, I, I want to... You know, I, I don't want to keep you any longer, but we can certainly talk about that now, yeah. or I, I'd be happy to we, – we can set something up in, in the future and, and talk about it yeah. sometime. You know, well, it's up I, to you. I, what, I've got a golf academy out here that, you know, I work with – people go, well, you only work with good players. No, I work with everybody. I, in fact, um, I've got video of, of me working with a three-year-old kid that you couldn't believe how – I actually have two three-year-olds that hit it off – hit it almost – they never whiff. They hit it every time. <laughs> At three years old, these kids just amaze me. Um, so I'm I'm not picky who I work with. I'll work with anybody that wants to learn the game and that that loves the game. So um, you know, I, I work with kids, adults, uh, guys that want to that are turning professional, that are professional. Um, you know, anybody that wants to learn, I, I'm willing to teach. And uh, you know, we're out here in Las Vegas. Uh, where is where my academy is? You know, they could go to Bob May Golf Academy uh, dot com, and you know we're on there uh, every year. The month of July, we go over to Hawaii at Waikoloa Beach Resort, and I teach over there for the month right. of July. Um, can you just talk about your packages r- real quick? Is there something you know if somebody's going out to Vegas? Could they get a single lesson with you, or is it something they, where yeah, you know, they, do they have they, to have a minimum a, amount? How how well? How, yeah, they, how they, a single lesson. They could take a one-hour lesson if they want. One hundred and fifty dollars for one hour. Okay. Um, I do have a package. You know, there's some guys that want to come in and they're like, hey, we want to play golf with you. You know, we got we and I you know I said, well, you get three of your buddies. You know, it's expensive, but you know it's not it's nine ninety five a guy. So. uh you know, and three guys, I take them out on the golf course. We we play golf all day. They ask me questions. We go to lunch afterwards. So basically, I'm entertaining them just like okay. a pro-am for, for mm-hmm. the day. Um, then I do have, you know, where someone wants just a playing lesson, you know, which is uh, I think the playing lesson is $750. I go out and I basically teach you how how I'm going to play a golf course and through through my eyes. How, how I see a golf course. So I tell guys, we don't see golf courses like normal people. Um, you know, we have the we have our, our our navy, we have our marines, we have all our military, right? But within our military, we have the green berets, we have the navy seals, 
we have kind of the elite of the elite. And uh, don't trust me, I don't take any of our military light. I think they're all elite. But we do have Mm -hmm. guys that do special things. And I said, that's kind of what the tour players are to golf. You know, there's some club pros that can flat out play some golf, but they're just not to the caliber of a of a tour uh, a tour player. And when we come into town, I, I tell the people when they ask us the big differences, we come in to just basically destroy the golf course. And what I mean by destroying it is destro- destroying it by score. You know, we come in to just tear the golf course apart and see how yeah. bad we could beat it. Um, I was trying to describe it to a to a, a gentleman here in town is, you know, you're trying to teach people how to play golf, but you're trying to teach them through frightened eyes. When you look out there, you see the water, you see the out-of-bounds, you see this. When I look out there, I see exactly where I want the ball to go and why, because this is the best way to, to attack this hole. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I, we don't, most of us, 97% of us out there don't see any of the trouble. We basically see where we want the ball to go. And then if it does go towards the trouble, we're like, ooh, that's not where I wanted it to go because we never anticipate it going there. So um, did you I ever see the said, trouble? Or is that something through hard work that you, you eventually kind of phase it? I'm just fascinated, kind of that, that uh, mindset of, of the tour player. If you, you know, never when, saw when, the trouble or, Yeah, or when, you're not playing, when you're not playing well, you, you see the trouble once in a while. But you've got to get yourself back into that that mindset that, okay, never mind. Let's start focusing on where this ball needs to go. You know, it's kind of like when you walk by someone you really just don't care for. You just kind of kind of look away and look down and don't really give them a whole bunch of attention. Well, that's the lake. That's that bunker you don't want to be in. You, you know it's there, but you don't really pay attention to it. You pay attention to your target. You really got to focus on your target and let that draw all your attention. That's where your golf ball is going to go. You know, it's a prime example. Your mind does not understand don't. If Mm -hmm. we're all sitting there, all three of us are at a table, and a waiter brings a plate over and it's hot and says don't touch it, what's the first thing all three of us are going to do? (laughs) We're going to touch it because we want to see see how hot this plate is. It's just – so when you tell yourself don't hit it in the water, you've basically told yourself it's okay, go ahead and hit it there. <laughs> you've opened up that door. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You've opened it up to, to, to be in the conversation. So, mm-hmm. you know, you try not to do that. You uh you know, you know it's there, but don't give it any more attention than it need it, you need to. You know, stay focused on where you want that ball to go. Um, I don't know if you guys ride bicycles or motorcycles. But, you know, where your eyes look is where you're going. Yeah, you know, even not where you're at even, right now. Yeah. You know, you, you're on a bicycle. You're like, don't hit that rock. And the more you focus on the rock, where is the bike ends up hitting the rock? Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, you know, it's, it's just you got to focus on what, where, and, you know, what you want the ball to do. And, uh, you know, that's where a lot of people, you know, they just, a lot of, a lot of students go, well, I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to hit it at that target, you know, the flag. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, what shape? Well, I'm just going to hit it at it. If it draws a little bit, it draws. If it cuts a little bit, it cuts. And I'm like, well, you've never set a path for that club to move on. So how do you ever think you're going to get it there? Because, you know, you got to set a path. You know, you, you, that club either needs to be working slightly out 
out, you know, out to in or slightly in to out, depending on the shot you want to hit. So if you're trying to hit it just straight, which is physically impossible, you've never set a path to move that club on. So how good do you think you're really going to hit it? Mm-hmm. So your teaching so, style, are you more, you work better with field players or do you do a lot of video? I mean, by the sound uh, of it, it sounds you know, like you're a little bit more field based. Well, I, I have, I have a track man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a track man. I, I teach a method. It's called swing the handle, not the club head by Eddie Marins that I was taught with. And if you guys ever get in town, I'd love to have you out and talk to you and explain it to you. And I think within 30 minutes, you're going to go, man, this, this is, is this really that easy? You know, because you're going to understand it right off the bat when I start showing you things and, and stuff and people. And I think that's why I was always a very good iron player because I understood where my hands were on the golf club in relationship to that club face at all times. Okay. Because whatever I do with the handle, real quick, whatever I do with the handle has a direct effect on that club head. I rotate the handle left, that club head closes. I rotate it to the right, that club face opens. So all the input to me always happens at the handle where I'm connected to the club. I don't even think about the club head. I try to do it all at the handle where I'm connected to the club. And you simplify the heck out of it and get rid of all those other swing thoughts for the most part and just focus on focus on the handle. Absolutely, because, you know, you tell someone to turn the club head over, the first thing they do is they cast it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if I say just mm-hmm. rotate that handle to the left, they're going to just rotate the handle. They're not going to try to throw the head out at it, you know? So yeah. they start yeah. thinking about something that's 40 inches away from their hands instead of where they're connecting the club, which is the handle. Whatever I do with the handle, it's the club head has to follow it. Okay. Yeah. So it's easy to show in person. So yeah, like I said, you guys no, we got to Vegas. Give me a call. Yeah, I've never I've never been to Vegas. So. <laughs> me neither. Me neither. Now we have no Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Well, there serious. you guys go. Well, well, I've never been let's do a either. show right from Vegas. Yeah. Oh my God. How did uh, How did Vegas get to be home for you? Well, I grew up in Southern California, mm-hmm. and obviously. And my wife and I, when we got out of college, we couldn't afford a house in, in Orange County. So we were going to move to Palm Springs, and I was like, well, we're going to move to the desert. Let's go look at Vegas. They just built a brand-new TPC golf course up there, and it's in Nevada. There's no state income tax. And so we came up here, and we've been here since uh, the end of 92, beginning of 93, or I guess end of 93. Okay. And we love it, absolutely love it here. Right, yeah, I need to get out there at some point. And it's funny because I'm in the hotel business, and it's like, you know, there's. I just need to see it from a professional standpoint too, just just from you know, kind of for my purposes as far as hospitality goes too. So. Oh yeah, I mean, it's a great town. I mean, there's a little bit of everything here. You know, people people always say it's Sin City, it's this, it's that. Um, where we live, you don't even know gaming exists. You yeah. know. But but then, you know, like you guys come in town, you know, adults could go act like kids or you you could just act like normal people. I mean, it's just it's it's a, it's a great town. I just absolutely love it. You know, I, I just I, I can't say anything bad about it. You know, people go, oh, I can't raise a kid here. I'm like, come on. What are you talking about? Yeah, we got to get out there. Todd, we got to put that on our uh, yeah, to-do list. Calendar. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know. 
get, get on out here. You guys got my number now, so uh, yeah. get out here. You guys, you guys would love it. You know. Yeah. Okay. Well, Bob, I appreciate it. This has been fantastic. You've been more than gracious with your time. So um, we'll let you go. I got to get to bed here. I'm, I'm in Boston. On the East Coast, so. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, it's almost midnight for you guys. Sorry to no, 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 no. Bob, God. Bob, truly our pleasure. This was, this was fantastic. Last thing, who you got this week? Excuse me? Who do you have this week as far as winning at um, at uh, Baltus Raw? Oh jeez! <laughs> um, I'm gonna say one of the big five, our big six. We're gonna make still make still be the six. So my my big six are, you know, thank God we have guys like Ricky Fowler, we have uh, Jordan Spieth, we have Jason Day, uh, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson. Those five guys have jumped up and mm-hmm. has made this game exciting right now. And you know what? Phil's coming in there for the old guys. Um, so I think we're going to have six guys, even Jim Furyk, you know, um, not taken away from the other guys. But I, I tell you what, any of those uh, seven, I, I, I think uh, I would take those seven and give the field to everyone else. Okay. But I couldn't, I couldn't, gosh, I couldn't pick just one guy. I mean, obviously you're going to. I mean, good gracious, uh, Dustin Johnson looks pretty darn strong. Right now, yeah. yeah, you know, and and he's he's kind of about he's kind of right where where Tiger was. You know, he's got that strength. He overpowers that golf course. And who's teaching him? Butch Harmon. Well, and it seems like he's got a similar mentality to what you were talking about earlier, where he just treats it like another week. You know, he treats it like yeah, you know, hey, and he, he plays he the hardest every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, and you know, Butch is just telling him to play it like every week. I guarantee you. Guaranteeing you, you know, he is. And, uh, you know, that's the great thing about Butch. You know, not only is he a great instructor, but, you know, Butch played on tour and, and he's won on tour. And so, therefore, when he's telling these guys stuff, he's actually telling them from experiences he had, too, not just from experiences of teaching great players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what that's what I kind of tell kids is learn from my experiences. I can't teach you experience, but you can learn from my experience. I mean, I can't teach you experience, but you can learn from my experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and and that's and that's what Butch does so well. You know, we'll see if DJ can get it done. Um, you know, but who are you guys picking? Well, I think I I I, I would I would be right there with you that those seven. I I, I you know who I hope wins it though. I, I really would love Sergio to win one. Oh, I'd love Sergio to win one. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring that up. When Sergio came on the European tour, I was over there, and my son was like the baby on the tour. He was just a year old. And when Sergio and I both came over here and played on the U.S. tour, one of the few people he knew was my son. <laughs> and by then, he was three. And, I mean, Trenton, uh, Sergio would come into the lunchroom and go, Trenton and Trenton would take off running to Sergio, <laughs> so it's kind of funny, you know, that you say that. Yeah, I would love to see Sergio win. Yeah. So they were probably learning English together a little bit too, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Exactly. So we may have to do another one of these and get get some of these stories from the Euro Tour because I'm sure those are you know, absolutely 
four or five really cool years over there for you. you know, kind of no, yeah, it was. There were, you know, I played, like I said, 90, 96 through 2000, but, you know, 2000, I played basically both tours. I played the U.S. tour and that tour, so. Hmm. Yeah, we we could do that. Okay, cool. All right, yeah. All right, All right Bob, guys. thank you. You guys have a good one. Okay, too, man. All right, thanks, Bob. All right. All right. Bob. See ya. Bye. Bye. Favorite rapper, hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper. <laughs>